Are we all excited? Are we all excited about a big day of sport? It's a huge day in sport. Who won the fight? I didn't even hear. McGregor versus Mayweather? It's already been, I think, or has it just started? It's on now. Well, lucky I've got my earpiece in. <laughs> anyway, but it's a big, game, big, big day of footy. The Eagles, who, who's an Eagles fan here? Now, I've done my research. If it's a low-scoring game, as long as the Eagles win by 19 points, they're going to overtake Melbourne. If it's a medium-type scoring game, they've got to win by 21 points. And if it's around 20 goals, if they get up to about 130 points, then they've got to win by 23 points. And that's the challenge. Unless Frio win. <laughs> I, I, like, I like Frio. I'm a Carlton man myself, so I don't go for it. I, I grew up in Carlton when I was young, so don't, don't hold it against me. But I do like my facts and figures. I love sport, but I also, as you can tell, I like facts and figures. Anyone like that? Anyone, when they hear there's a whisper of a quiz night coming up, prick their ears up. Is anyone like me? No one? Oh, one. Hey, <laughs> high five from here, man. You're not into facts and figures. See, I love facts and figures. So you weren't like me when you heard that the failed census of last year came out, the figures came out a few weeks ago, that you weren't bursting at your bit to get onto the website and check out what happened? No? Hold you back. Well, that, that was my case. I jumped on there on our behalf. Now, you may have, if, you didn't, if you're not like me, you're not into facts and figures, you don't like your general knowledge, then you may have just heard a little bit of a... Um, you know, reports on the, on the radio or on online or on the, in newspapers about sort of the religious aspect of the census. Did you hear about that stuff on the news? And, and basically, it came out to be that now, for the first time ever in our census history, that unbelief is the actual biggest category that people ticked. Now, religious commentators came back and they said, well, hang on a minute, it's not really the biggest category because if you added up the Catholics and the Baptists and the Anglicans and Salvation Army and Church of Christ, and, then they actually have a bigger, we have, as Christians have a bigger percentage, so belief is a bigger category, so to speak. And there was a bit of argy-bargy back and forth. But I, I, think, it's, I think it's not really a, an argument that we really want to get into. I think we all realise that no matter how you look at it, disbelief in Australia is on the rise. Isn't that right? And, and it's wonderful to see since I was last here that uh, it seems like there's a lot of people here in this congregation and it seems to be growing, so, which is wonderful. But if you look at it generally across Australia, disbelief is on the rise. And why is that? Why from this census figures is unbelief becoming more and more and more prevalent? And I think we've actually got to zoom back a couple of thousand years to a very, very famous census, which we normally look at just at Christmas time. So we're going to have a look at, in Luke, in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. Now I'm reading from the message version, so if you don't have the message version, it, it may, you may just want to listen up, but it's Luke 2, 1 to 20, entitled, The Birth of Jesus. About that time, Caesar Augustus ordered a census to be taken throughout the empire. This was the first census when Quirinus was governor of Syria. Everyone had to travel to his own ancestral hometown to be accounted for. So Joseph went from the Galilean town of Nazareth up to Bethlehem in Judah, David's town, for the census. As a descendant of David, he had to go there. He went with Mary, his fiancée, who was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her son, her firstborn. She wrapped him in a blanket and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the hostel. 
There were sheep herders, or, or we call shepherds, camping in the neighbourhood. They had set night watches over their sheep. Suddenly, God's angels stood among them and God's glory blazed around them. They were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. A saviour has just been born in David's town. A saviour who is Messiah and master. This is what you're to look for. A baby wrapped in a blanket and lying in a manger. At once the angel was joined by a huge angelic choir singing God's praises. Glory to God in the heavenly heights. Peace to all men and women on earth who please him. As the angel choir withdrew in, into heaven, the sheep herders talked it over. Let's go over to Bethlehem as fast as we can and see for ourselves what God has revealed to us. They left running and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Seeing was believing. They told everyone they met what the angels had said about this child. All who heard the sheep herders were impressed. Mary kept all these things to herself, holding them dear, deep within herself. The sheep herders, or shepherds, returned and let loose, glorifying and praising God for everything that they had heard and that they had seen. It turned out exactly the way they had been told. Now, the thing about this passage that we just checked out in Luke is, at the start, you've got, as Eugene Peterson puts it, sheep herders, or what we call shepherds, out in the field, and up pops this angel. And we know the story well, so it's not, not that big a deal, but if we were out walking the dog this morning early, and it was pretty dark, and all of a sudden, boom, up pops this angel, parts the clouds, and goes, woo! We would respond exactly like these shepherds, wouldn't we? We would be afraid and terrified. But at the start of the story, you've got these scaredy-cat shepherds, but by the end of the passage, just a few verses later, they are bold as brass, aren't they? They are running around as fast as they can, trying to tell every man and his dog about this Jesus. Now, what's the difference? Why at the start so scared and by the end so bold and so brave? And I think the, the key to the answer is in verse 10, which we read when it says, The angel said, don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. These shepherds, these lowly shepherds, which is, back in those days wasn't the you know, highest uh, job going around, but they have been included this is a message of hope and joy. And these shepherds who probably just thought all they were good for was tending their sheep have been caught up in this marvellous message of Jesus. They have been included. It's wonderful, isn't it? Now, this message of Jesus is a message of joy. It's not a message of judgment. And these shepherds Sheep herders have been included in that. They've been caught up in this joy. And it's a wonderful, wonderful story, isn't it? So why, if we transport ourselves back into the 2016-17 failed census, is a lot of people ticking this unbelief? Why are they not so like the shepherds who've been included in this wonderful story? the greatest story, the biggest love story of all time, which we as Christians have come to believe and come to see, come to enjoy, and we have been caught up with it. Why are these people out there in Australia not caught up with it as well? This love story. And I think the key to it is love. And we're going to have a look at love today. Now, Jesus is asked by the um, Pharisees, 
in, in uh, Matthew 22, and, and they basically come up and they'll say to him, and, they, and they're trying to trick him, and they come up to Jesus and they say, what is the greatest commandment? And what does he say? He says, the first on any list is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Doesn't he? But what else does he say? Let's read it. Matthew 22, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all, with all your passion, your prayer, and your intelligence. Once again, I'm le- reading from the message version. He changed it a little bit, but this is the most important. It's the first on any list, but there is a second to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These commands are two pegs. Everything in God's law and the prophet hangs from them. So God, Jesus says, the first thing, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your passion. But there's a second peg, as Eugene Peterson puts it. He says, love others as you love yourself. Now, I don't do much washing at home. I, I, I don't believe washing is a woman's job, but my wife likes washing. I hate washing, she hates shopping, and I, and I do the shopping. So we've got a little, nice little partnership going on. But I would imagine if I actually did the washing and I, I washed a shirt and I hung it out on the line and put it up with one peg, what's going to happen? It could fall off? It wouldn't dry. It would probably wrap around itself, get caught up and eventually go mouldy. It wouldn't work, doesn't it? And that's what Eugene Peterson is basically saying to us. He says, you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind, but if you're not loving other people, you've got it skew with. He's basically saying to us, the way in which we love others is the way in which we love God. There are two pegs. One peg doesn't work. If you have the love your Lord your God, but you're not into loving those other people, then it's not working. Now, Paul talks about this in Corinthians in a very famous passage where he says, Uh, Where am I? If I speak with tongues of men or angels, but I have not love, I may as well be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And in 1 John 4, it goes even further. If anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person that he can see, how can he love the God that he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. Now, Jesus, in the way in which he loves, he loves without an agenda, doesn't he? Now, Jesus loves the world. He loves us as Christians, but he loves non-Christians just as much as he loves us. He loves people that believe in him or people who think he's an absolute raving lunatic. He loves people no matter how they respond to him, he just loves them. Because loving, that's what loving is, isn't it? To love is not to love with an agenda. If my wife stopped washing my shirts and I stopped loving her, you've got to question, whoa, hang on a minute, did he actually love her in the first place? That's a sort of a, just a weird sort of contractual obligation arrangement that I'd have got going on. To love is to love without an agenda, not to get something in return, but just because you love. And that's the way Jesus loves. He loves without an agenda. And he calls us to love without an agenda. Not so that we go out to tell people just in order that they come back to our little Christian club and fill up our pews here. He calls us to love them, whether they come in here or not. He just calls us to love, doesn't he? 
And the other thing he teaches about love, it's not distant. Love can't be distant. It's an intimate thing. So when we go out and we encounter other people, we, in order to love them, we need to get to know them. We need to be intimate with them. We need to get to see life through their eyes and, and see how what's affected them and, and what, what they struggle with and, and what they enjoy and what they weep with and what they celebrate. And we join them there, don't we? Because love is intimate. Love is not distant. It's not a distant thing. You can't love from a distance. Because if it is, it's more, it's just lobbing. So it's not loving, it's just lobbing. So if we go out to tell them, and all we're doing is telling them about Jesus without actually getting to know them, getting to experience them, getting to care for them, then that is just lobbing something over there. That's not loving at all. And that's not what Jesus calls us to do. So I think Jesus, he calls us to love. And, and he says, you know, there may be times when, when we as a church and we as Christians feel as though that these guys out there are struggling with particular things. And there's a lot of that going on in the media at, at the moment and a lot of that that we're thinking about. But Jesus calls us, I think, to unless we are in a position of care, if we are in a position of love and a position that is intimate with these people, I think he tells us to shush. Because the message of Jesus is not one of judgment and condemnation. It is a message of joy. And it's of peace. And it's meant for all. And I think we see this when you, when you look at John chapter 8. When, once again, the Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus. And they go, whoa, look what we've found, Jesus. We've found this lady in the act of adultery. And they haul her up in front of Jesus. Now, I don't know what, you know, normally in my mind, oh, adultery takes two to tango. Where's the bloke? Why are they hang it, hanging him out to dry and bringing him up as well by the scruff of the neck? But anyway, they bring up this woman and they, they try and trick him and they say, how is he going to handle this? So they said, what are you going to do with him? So what does Jesus do in John chapter 8? He just bends down and he starts riding in, in the dirt. And he rides in the dirt and he, and he looks up. And after a while, he looks up and he says, he who has no sin... Well, who is without sin cast the first stone? And he goes back just to riding in the dirt. And by the time he finishes riding in the dirt the second time, he looks up and there's no one there. And he says to this lady who's been caught in adultery, he says to her, where are they all gone? Where are those who are here to condemn you? And then she said, there's no one here. And he says, well, I don't condemn you either. I don't contend. He doesn't say keep sinning, keep committing adultery and, and doing those things because he knows the brokenness that leads from that sin. But he basically says, don't sin anymore. I don't condemn you, but don't sin anymore. Enter into it. He doesn't condemn her. He wants life for her. He brings a message of joy rather than a message of judgment. And it, it doesn't mean, uh, I'm not, not advocating that there are particular things that we've got to hold on to. I'd, I'm not saying Christians shouldn't have a spine and stand up for what they believe in. But I think that Jesus is teaching us here about love, that unless 
We care for these people. Unless we are intimately involved in their lives, then it's better for us to be quiet. Now, when we are involved in their lives and we care for them and we are in an intimate relationship and we can see life through their eyes and what they've struggled with and all that type of stuff that we've just been talking about, then, because we love them, we want to share them to see what Jesus, to see what we have seen. There may be things that we need to stand up to them and talk to them about, but we do that in a manner of love. We do that in a manner of joy about because we want what's best for them, because we care for them, because we love them. And I think that's what Jesus calls us to do. He just loves. Jesus loves us as Christians, as I said before. He loves us just as much as we're of the Islamic faith, if we're Buddhist. He loves us if we've got good morals. He loves us if we've got bad morals. It's hard for us to hear, but the rapists and the pedophiles and everything that we think are so bad in this world, Jesus loves them just the same as us, who come to church every Sunday morning and we lead worship and we do all this and that type of thing. Jesus doesn't love us anymore because of that. He loves them and us just the same. We are encountering a loving God. He loves everyone and he calls us to do the same. He calls us to reach out to others, these people who have ticked unbelief on the census. He calls us to reach out in love because we want them to taste what we have tasted. We want them to see what we have seen. We want them to experience the joy that we enjoy. We have experienced the life that comes through loving Jesus and the life that he has given us by what he has done. We have tasted the banquet table and we come to the party. And we want them to come to the party because it's so good. I just wonder, what would our 2016-17 census figures look like if people experienced from church that sense of love, if they experienced the message of Jesus, which the sheep herders at the start were just in, <coughs> enamoured by, this joy, not judgment, a message of peace and mercy and grace and kindness and love that Jesus has given us in the gospel. And if people out there in Australia, the normal Joe blogs who's ticking unbelief, experience that love rather than occasionally hearing from the church in a position of condemnation, then would the census figures be any different? That's a question we need to think about, I think. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you that you are a God who loves. You're a God who includes and and not excludes. We thank you that you love us all, Lord, despite us, you love us. You didn't give up on us. When we as humanity turned our backs on you, Lord, you didn't say, oh, this is too hard, let's just go back to what we had before or create it again. You just said, no. The plan is to include these people so we can enjoy them forever through Jesus. And we thank you that you delivered on your plan. And we thank you that you're a God who loves us, whether we love you or not. Amen.
If I can just share, I went to the um, MOPS conference yesterday and we were told of a young lady who uh, went to MOPS in Devonport, Tasmania. She was a lady who had been um, jailed for misdemeanour. Uh, her children had been taken off her. When she got out of jail, the lady who was um, caring for her children as a foster carer um, invited the mum of the children that she was caring for to mops. This lady now, she gave her life to, the Jesus, to Jesus because she was loved, she was cared for, she was encouraged and she was uh, given the beautiful gift of the understanding of who Jesus really is through the love that was given to her uh, in that group. Uh, she now leads as a coordinator of the MOPS in Devonport and that's exactly what Chad is saying. It's through the love, it's through the, uh, we don't need anything from you but we've got a lot to give you. And the love that has happened just in that instance and there are many, many uh, other instances <coughs> that happen not only through mops but through Kids Church, through Men's Shed. Many men will come to know Jesus Christ because of these uh, wonderful efforts um, of calling from Jesus Christ to uh, reach people in our community that have ticked that they don't know Jesus. That's all that tick means. They don't yet know Jesus. So I just thought I'd share that with you. Thank you. Does anybody else have something they'd like to share that the Lord has laid on their heart during the week or the last couple of weeks? You know, sometimes a, a thought comes around your mind or a, an experience happens to you and you put it to one side, but sometimes the congregation would be blessed by it what you've experienced or what you've heard or what you've seen. Anybody got one? Bought? Oh, Mark. I'd just like to say on behalf of my wife that she's received a lot of text, phone calls, reports. We know there's lots of freedom to go Thanks, Mark. So the soul you can't see with all the guidance in the Bible 
<laughs> and he loves us anyway, <laughs> in spite of it. Anybody else got something they'd like to share? Thanks, Arnold. Such a lot of work involved, isn't there? <laughs> the Lord will bring us out the other side. <laughs> Good girl. <laughs> 